So listen as I read God's word, Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Let me pray. Father, I pray that as we listen to your word, having heard it read and now looking into the truth proclaimed, Lord, that you would let us see the ministry of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, that in this gospel we would find our true and lasting hope that we would find our, our real and meaningful comfort in times of sorrow and sadness, but our joy and celebration as we watch that our sins have been paid for by Jesus, our Savior. And so, Lord, for those who, who gathered this morning with us that, that don't yet understand this, that don't yet know Jesus as Savior, Lord, I pray that, that hearing the word proclaimed today, having, having heard it announced to us in our, in our Scripture reading, in our creed, in our prayers, in our songs, Lord, that you would draw men and women this morning, right now, as we hear your word, draw them to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us that have put our trust in Christ, and we, we celebrate the, the welcome of new members today, Lord, we, we pray that you would strengthen us to follow after Jesus. 
to trust in him more deeply and more fully. Lord, I ask that your spirit would provide us comfort and hope. Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have the, this intimate and powerful moment with Jesus. Theologian and pastor Sinclair Ferguson describes this portion of Scripture this way. Never in the Gospels does the humanity of Jesus shine through more clearly. Did you hear that? Never in the Gospels does the humanity of Jesus shine through more clearly. Never in the Gospels does his holiness appear more forcefully. See, here in this gospel, we have both the humanity and the holiness of Jesus. We see his sorrow and his certainty walking toward the cross. Jesus himself describes for us how he feels. This is, this is unusual if, if you've read with us through the gospels or if you read through the gospel of Mark, that we get a glimpse into what Jesus is feeling. Everywhere else in this gospel, he seems so in control of every moment that takes place, so calm in the face of a storm, so, so calm in the face of, a, of a, a possessed demoniac raging against God. And yet here, how does Jesus describe himself? Look at verse 33 with me. As they enter this garden, we're told by Mark, the, the gospel writer, that Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Deeply distressed and troubled. Look at verse 34, how Jesus himself explains the situation to his disciples. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The language is, is shocking. It, it actually captures that sense of, of shock that this moment now, having celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, walking across the valley, now here on the Mount of Olives, on the, the lower slopes in this garden, Jesus is now bearing the weight, beginning to feel the, the, the ultimate pressure of your sins and mine upon him. And so he says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. We have here the sorrow of our Savior. The humanity of Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, now prepared to bear the weight of sin. And yet he feels it pushing down Upon him. Later in the, the New Testament, the writer to the Hebrews will describe this, this moment in the garden. This is in Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. That's what Jesus is doing in these prayers. He's coming before God and, and praying, Oh Lord, rescue me. And, and listen to the way the, the author of Hebrews describes it. Jesus comes to the one who could save him from death, and Jesus was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. You see, it might seem when we read in Mark's gospel that, that Jesus' prayers are not heard. But we have this biblical reminder that Jesus, because of his willing, reverent, holy submission to God, that his prayer was heard. Because what is Jesus' prayer? 
He goes, and, and we see this in verse 36, this pivotal, this pivotal verse. We're back in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Jesus cries to God, Abba, Father. It's a, a term of, of intimacy, but yet still respect. It's, in, it's given to us in both the, the Aramaic and the Greek. Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Do you hear the fervent faith of Jesus in that prayer? Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. This is the cup of God's wrath. We, we were introduced to this cup chapters ago when the, the, the brothers, James and John, come to Jesus and ask for positions of authority, and Jesus says, can you drink the cup which is being given to me? That symbol from the Old Testament of God's wrath being poured out against sin. And so Jesus is, is asking God fervently, take this cup from me. It's a prayer of, of petition, of fervent faith that everything is possible. And, and yet look at how verse 36 ends. For herein is your hope, yet not what I will, but what you will. You see how Jesus, feeling the, the weight of sin, facing his impending death, asks God that the hour might pass from him, that the cup might be taken from him. It's a trust that God has the power to do that, that everything is possible for God, even the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus is then willing to say, yet not what I will, but what you will. He is willing to, to bend his will, his purpose to his heavenly fathers, knowing what it will cost him. I mean, we are in the hours before Jesus' death. This is the night of, of Maundy Thursday, the, the day before his crucifixion. This is a night which will be filled with pain and torture and torment for Jesus. And yet he says, not what I will, but what you will. Because, God, everything is possible for you. We see the sorrow of Jesus in this, even as he asks his disciples. He gives them the command, sit here while I pray. He comes back and he finds them sleeping and he says, could you, could you not keep watch for an hour? It's as if he is now relying on them, Jesus and his humanity, relying on their prayers as well, that they would be praying for him in this hour. And also that they would be praying for themselves. Look at verse 38. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Remember, these are the disciples who have promised they will be loyal and faithful to Jesus no matter what happens. Peter staked his life on it. And so Jesus, in his sorrow, is asking them to pray. Three times he comes back and finds them sleeping. Here, I think we do while you and I will not go to a garden of Gethsemane, this is a unique event in history. Only Jesus bears this kind of weight, the weight of, of humanity's sin. You and I know what it's like to be in places of sorrow and sadness and despair. So here we, we have for us a lesson in prayer. Look again at verse 36. We have the intimacy of crying out to, to God as Abba, Father. We have the, the hope that, that we can come to the one for whom everything is possible. And we see here how, how Jesus makes that affirmation, and yet he's not trying to change God's mind. 
That's not what prayer is meant to do. When you bring your list of of needs to God, it's not because God is unaware of these things. It's not because God has forgotten you. It's not because God hasn't chosen the right path. What, What is prayer doing? Prayer bends our wills to the will of God. If if Jesus needs to pray that kind of prayer, then surely you and I need to pray these kinds of prayers. God, everything is possible for you, and so I bring you this, this sorrow in my life. And yet, Lord, Abba, Father, not as I will, but as you will. You see, prayer is not meant to, to change God's mind, but to change your heart, to reorient you to the purposes of God. And for Jesus, it's a prayer that the cup of God's wrath would be taken from him, knowing that God has the power to do that, to take the, the wrath and not pour it out on Jesus. But, but if Jesus doesn't take the wrath, then someone must. God's holy and righteous anger must be poured out against sin. Now, you and I, we do not like God's wrath. And we don't even like to, to talk about it. it. It actually, for some of us, maybe even it feels a little bit embarrassing. Like, yeah, this kind of, these parts of the Bible. I like the parts when Jesus stands up and says things about loving our neighbors and, and welcoming people. And, 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 but these parts where, where Jesus speaks about wrath. Take this cup from me. The cup of God's vengeance, of God's violent and holy anger against sin. See, we don't like this kind of teaching. We don't like it because of what it would force us if we, if we really believe it, that God is the holy, righteous judge. We don't like it because of what it would force us to admit about ourselves. See, we're uncomfortable with God's wrath, but we're uncomfortable with God's wrath because we deserve God's wrath because we are sinners, because we are the ones who have provoked God's anger. We are the ones who have rebelled against God. And we might think, we, we, you know, I don't, I don't want an angry God. I don't want a, a God of wrath. I want a loving God. And yet here in the garden, we are finding God to be both holy and just and violently angry against sin and still loving. For what do we have here? We have the violent wrath of God and the loving Father who sends his son to take that wrath. So you and I are actually desperately in need of God's judgment against sin. For we live in a world where where we know things don't go as they were meant to, where people have sinned against us, where when we're honest, we realize we've sinned against others and there's nothing we can do to fix it. We need to know that there is a God who is in control, a God who will make right what has gone wrong. You and I are desperate for God's wrath, but we are absolutely in need of God's loving sacrifice through Jesus, his son. We need every part of verse 36 to be true. We need Jesus to be able to call out, Abba, Father. We need Jesus to to, to declare to us that everything is possible for God, even the forgiveness of sins. We need Jesus to take the cup of God's wrath and to drink it to its dregs, to swallow all of God's wrath for us. We need Jesus to bend his will to the will of his Father, going to the cross for us. Because it is through the Son, the one who cries, Abba, Father, that you and I have the rights as sons, that you and I can come to God and call him Abba, Father, 
That's the language the Apostle Paul will use in Galatians. He uses it in Romans 8 as well. You can, can flip there with me. Keep your finger here in, in Mark 14 or, or note it with a bookmark. But turn with me to Romans chapter 8, that magisterial letter of, of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, written after this, the, the, gospel of, 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 of the events in the Gospel of Mark took place. We have the, the announcement that God sent Jesus to die in the place of sinners. And so in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul describes what, it, what it's like to live a life by faith. And in Romans 8, verse 15, we read this, Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might, may also share in his glory. Do you hear the, the, the great promise of Romans 8? That because Jesus the Son can cry out, Abba, Father, because Jesus the Son suffered in your place when you come by faith, then you have participated in the sufferings of Christ. His punishment was your punishment. And so you now have the rights of a son, you have the, the promises that everything that belongs to Jesus is now given to you. You are a co-heir with Christ, and so you can cry out to God, Abba, Father. I mean, Im imagine with me living in a, in a kingdom where the, the king, before he goes to bed, says, I want no one to interrupt me. No one at all should come and interrupt me. Who's the only one that would dare wake a sleeping king? The little child right? His child who wanders in at night and tugs at his bedclothes. Daddy, Abba, Father, I need you. See, no one else, will, no one else has that privilege but would fear the, the wrath of a king. And how much more would, would God, a good and gracious, loving king, welcome us when we come to him as sons and daughters of his kingdom, because Jesus himself cries out, Abba, Father. Jesus himself takes the cup and submits himself to the will of God. See, in the garden, we have Jesus in, in verse 36 praying to God. We have the, the sorrow and the distress. So we see the sorrow in this chapter, but then we turn with Jesus and we see his certainty in following the will of God. For notice how, yes, the, the sorrow has not passed because of what will take place in the hours which follow. But notice when Jesus comes back to his disciples the third time, having pleaded with God, having been given an answer of, of what it will take to follow after God's will, notice how Jesus speaks to his disciples now. Not with doubt or fear or sorrow, not in distress or, or, or overwhelmed to the point of death. Look at verse 41. Jesus says, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. This is the hour which he, which he moments ago wanted to pass. And yet he now sees the hour has arrived. He, he says to them, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And so he walks into the garden, one burdened with sorrow, but he will leave this garden, the king in control, 
the one who, who has absolute certain control in following God's. This, this passage is not, not about the, the sorrow or the pain. This passage is about the obedient son, strong in submission, willing to follow after God's purposes and plan. And so Jesus announces beforehand that the betrayer has arrived. And look at verse 43. We have the description then of the scene. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. Judas, one of the twelve. One of the inner circle of disciples who has been with Jesus, who has seen the miracles, who, who has heard the proclamation. Judas appears. And with him is an, is an armed guard, was armed with swords and clubs, sent from the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders. Here, with the purpose of arresting Jesus, and here in the darkness of the Garden of Gethsemane, the betrayer, Judas the betrayer, has arranged a signal. The one I kiss. He is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. And so it seems that those with the, with the swords and with the clubs, they, they might appear to be the ones in control, but, but how does Mark tell us the story? Who is the one with authority here? It's Jesus. Judas comes and, and calls him rabbi, kisses him, and the men seize Jesus and arrest him. But yet Jesus speaks to them. Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day. All week long, I have stood and taught in the temple courts, in the public daylight. You could have walked up and arrested me at any, at any time, and yet you choose under the cover of darkness, under, under the threat of what people might do, you come with, with swords and clubs to arrest me, and yet Jesus is the one who remains in control. And we, we see the contrast, don't we, between Jesus and everyone else in the story? I mean, look at the contrast between Jesus, the one fervently praying, and the disciples. Who fall asleep. The disciples who have been warned by Jesus, you are going to walk away from me, and so pray to God that temptation will not overcome you. And yet they fall asleep. We have the contrast then between, between Jesus in, in calm serenity, announcing the arrival of Judas and the chaos which ensues. The, the, the crowd comes with clubs and with swords, and, and one of Jesus' own followers pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear, the right ear of the, the servant of the high priest. It's chaos. Everyone else is responding as if, as if the world is spinning out of control except Jesus. Because this is the will of God. This is the purpose of Scripture, he says. The Scriptures must be fulfilled. And then we have the announcement of, of what takes place. Jesus having been seized. Jesus now being arrested to be dragged from this garden before the, the religious leaders for a mock trial. Jesus about to be led to his death. Look now at verse 50 to see how the disciples will respond. Verse 50 is like a punch in the gut. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone, all of the disciples, even Peter, who stood up just hours ago and said, never will I leave you. Everyone deserted him and fled. And then Mark's gospel gives us this, this interesting 
picture of this young man who's there, not, not dressed for the night, not, not well prepared for the events of this night. He's, he's just wearing one, one simple garment. He's, he doesn't have an outer garment over. He's, he's probably come with the crowd. It's, it's chaos. But, but notice the scene. Look at verses 51 and 52. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. Those with the clubs and the swords recognize he's with Jesus, and so they seize him. He fled naked, leaving his garment behind. That's how chaotic the scene is. And perhaps this is a, a detail that Mark wants to give us that's autobiographical. That's what some might say. That, that Mark, this is his eyewitness account. He is the one who was so ashamed of Jesus that he would leave everything behind and in an undignified escape, run from the garden, leaving Jesus behind. But whether it's Mark or it's another unnamed disciple, the, the point is clear. Everyone has deserted Jesus. Now, you and I, you and I don't know what it's like to stand at the precipice of history, looking to bear the weight of the sin of the world. But you and I know what it's like to go through life and have people stab us in the back, abandon us, make promises that they will not fulfill. And yet you and I, in this gospel message, have one who will never abandon us. Do you see what this gospel story is? It's the promise of the Savior that even when you turn and run from him in your undignified shame, he will not abandon you. Jesus will fulfill the scriptures. Jesus has come to be arrested, to be betrayed. Jesus has come to be, to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus will die between two sinners. Jesus will die in the place of of sinners, Jesus will not ever abandon you. I mean, do you hear the power of this gospel message, this intimacy here in the garden? Jesus who cries out, Father, take the cup from me. And yet Jesus who willingly takes the cup for you. See, this is the gospel. You and I, like the disciples, flee from Jesus. We have abandoned him. Jesus bore the Father's wrath, but Jesus has not abandoned us. It is through Jesus that you and I can cry out to God, Abba, Father, that you and I are welcomed into his kingdom, that you and I can, can follow after him, announcing this good news to others. We have nothing to bring. We are like the, the man who flees with nothing but shame. And yet we have a Savior who clings to us, a Savior who will never let us go. There is hope here in this gospel for you. John Haycock was told by his parents that he was an accident. They told him they resented the day he was born. He was shuttled between family members. His parents didn't even, didn't even take care of him. He remembers entering a, a family party one day, one that he hadn't been told about and being kicked out because they stopped what they were doing and they said to him, this party, it's for family only. So he was forced from his home, abandoned by his family. As a, as a teen, he lived in a, in a rundown car. He admits his depression. And he, he says somehow there was a Bible in this car. He doesn't know how the Bible ended up there and he, and he opened it. 
He opened it to Romans 8 and read those words that, that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. And this was, was John's prayer. He shared this at, at chapel at Covenant College years ago. He prayed, having read those words, that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father, that we are welcomed as God's sons. This is what John prayed. God, if you will be my daddy, I won't tell nobody because I don't want to embarrass you. And John, he said it was as if God spoke to him through this word. John, I want everybody to know I'm your daddy. I want everybody to know you are my son. I will not abandon you. I will not leave you. And so this young man with faith in Christ grew up to open a home for mothers and children in desperate need, to give a home to those that didn't have families to welcome it. You see, it's only through the son who cries out in pain, Abba, Father, that you and I can come in joy and cry out, Abba, Father, you are my God. You have welcomed me. You have not abandoned me. It's because Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. See, everyone abandoned Jesus. But Jesus will never abandon you. Abba, Father, we come as heirs with Christ, as your sons through the Son, Jesus. We come with faith, asking you to to give us hope that you are with us in times of sorrow and sadness, in times of despair, in times when we feel like we've been betrayed and abandoned. Lord, we thank you that you answered the prayer of Jesus, that when he cried out to you, that your will was done perfectly through his life, Lord, we thank you that that through the gospel message announced to us that we can come to you to cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, we thank you that Jesus was willing to drink the cup of your wrath, to pay the penalty for our sins. And so, Lord, for those who have not acknowledged their sinfulness, who have not acknowledged their helplessness, Lord, give them the faith now. Even as our, our heads are bowed, give them the faith now to come to you in prayer to silently confess their sins, to acknowledge their brokenness and their need of a rescuer, a Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ, Jesus, who is our Savior, Jesus, the one in absolute control and perfect submission to your will. Lord, we come rejoicing in your grace that has been poured out on us, the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.